0: Good morning, Mission View. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, community group. <laughs> Appreciate your love. Everyone else, I know how you feel about me. It's okay. I've got, a, I've got a healthy self-esteem. Hey, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark, the seventh chapter. I was living with three other guys at the time. And they were all there, and there were some other cars in the drive that I didn't recognize. And as I opened up the front door, it hit me. The smell of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, which meant a couple things. One it meant we most likely had a a girl uh, or another dude over because none of the guys that lived in the house cooked at all. And it also meant that we were about to feast on chocolate chip cookies, both of which were were a good thing. And uh, so as soon as we walked in, just the the smell, it just hit me. and, And then I went into the kitchen and I saw that this girl who was interested in one of the guys that I lived with, she was in there and her hands were in some fresh cookie dough. And she was sculpting just these delicious chocolate chip cookies. And the first batch were done and she was pulling them out of the oven and she set them on the stove top to let them cool, and we just were all around salivating at the thought of us about to eat some freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, and as soon as they weren't that hot anymore, we went into the fridge, and and we all marked our stuff of of what we had, because we we aren't communists, all right? So we all bought our own food, and it was like, don't touch my food. But at this this time, my, my friend decided he would share his milk with all of us, because he was the only one who had milk in the house. And so, he poured us all a a glass of milk and we smelled it to make sure it wasn't stale or rotten because when you're four dudes, you know, there's mold growing all over your food and all everything's stale and rotten. And so, but the the milk was great. And and then we went over and and we found a paper towel because all the dishes were in the sink and and they were dirty. And and so we put the cookies on the paper towel and I went and I sat down and I started dipping the the chocolate chip cookie into the milk and started just pounding the, the chocolate chip cookies just eating them and, and then the one guy I lived with came over and very quietly said I wouldn't eat those I'm like what it's like I wouldn't eat I'm like shut up man you just want them all to yourself he's like I would not eat those I'm like why well we're, we're four guys living together we're all on a budget we lived in just a dump the place was just awful and, and something happened whenever you used the, the bathroom uh, sink. it Just the water was, was so loud. I don't know what happened, but I mean, the water pressure you got out of the faucet was out of this world. It was absolutely incredible. The downside was the walls were so paper thin that everybody in the house could hear the, the bathroom faucet. And he said to me, she didn't wash her hands after she went to the bathroom. I'm like, no, you're a kid. <laughs> And I kept eating the chocolate chip cookie, and he looked at me, and he's like, dude, I'm dead serious. We kind of looked at each other, me and the other guy who was eating that wasn't interested, and the girl who was baking the cookies. And we had to find out, because the cookies were absolutely delicious. They were incredible. But that's kind of disgusting. And I know there's heat in the oven, and I know that degrees kill certain things, but I don't want to eat food if you haven't washed your hands. I just don't want to do it. And so we devised a plan. We went in and we stole the towel that was in the bathroom. And we waited until she'd have to use the facility again. And then one of us was going to walk over and shake her hand immediately when she left the facility and find out whether or not her hand was still damp, and if so, we would then resume eating the cookies, and if not, all the cookies in the house were going to be reserved for one fella, and he could just have his little heart's content. And an hour and a half later, it happened. The towel had been stolen. Her entry to the bathroom was complete. We heard the flush of the toilet, the door opened, my friend shook her hand, and it was dry, and my face turned green, and I just wanted to suck down a whole bottle of Pepto-Bismol because I felt like I was going to vomit all over the place. Now, some of you are saying, what's the big deal? Those of you who are saying that are not like me. You do not carry in your pocket everywhere you go a little thing of hand sanitizer. I do. I don't feel badly about it. I mean, that sink over there in the guy's bathroom is a 50-50 shot on if it's going to work. And whoever came up with automatic dispensers in bathrooms should be shot because it is the worst invention of all time. I mean, who doesn't want to sit there after they've just taken care of business and been like, And then you start like hitting it. Like that's going to fix it. It's just going to make it even more temperamental. And you sit there. It's a 50-50 shot whether or not you're going to get any water. And then it's a whole new ball game when you go over to the paper towel dispenser. You never know. So you're prolonged in the bathroom. Oh, that's just a great concept right there. Let's stay longer in a place. I'm surrounded by people I may or may not know at some of their most intimate moments of their life. No, thank you. So yes, I do carry hand sanitizer in my pocket. No, I don't feel bad about it. I would recommend, in fact, you go to Walgreens and get the crisp apple. It is heavenly. It has a nice apple scent and these refreshing little, little bees in it that just provide extra moisture and cleanliness. I may be a little bit of a germaphobe. I may be. It's just one too many times I've seen somebody sneeze in their hand, wipe it on their shirt, and be like, Brian, it's great to see you. And I'm not going to be the guy that's like, no, Howie Mandel fist bump. I'll shake your hand, but then I'm going to turn the corner and put a little Purell, a little hand sanitizer on my hand. It's just what I do. This morning as we look at Mark chapter 7, what we're going to see is the disciples, they weren't like me. No, they weren't like me at all. Mark 7, in fact, starts this way. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. So what we have here is a scene where the Pharisees are watching the disciples. Now, the Pharisees had developed this routine of their hands, where they would not only wash their hands, but to but to show their, their state of purity and, and cleanliness, they would hold up their hand and they would allow the water to drip down past their wrist. And only after the water dripped down past the wrist would they acknowledge that their hand was actually clean. It's like if you talk to somebody in the medical profession, they tell you when you wash your hands, you should like sing happy birthday or say the alphabet to make sure that your hands are really clean or just carry some Purell in your pocket. Now, this is, so the, the fair Pharisees, but they turned this into something that was even greater. They turned this into spiritual rituals. So we don't know if the disciples just forwent washing their hands at all, or we just don't know if they just didn't wash them in the way the Pharisees thought it was appropriate for them to wash their hands. But they're looking at this, and they see the disciples, and they're eating, and their hands aren't clean, and the Pharisees draw attention to this. And they raised the issue. Perhaps disgusting. But sinful? Is it sinful? So here's the, here's the reality. People are always going to be watching you. People watch you whether they like you or they don't like you. People are going to watch you. Not only that, but people are going to judge you. It will come at times you expect it to, and it will come at times you don't expect it to. And if you allow your self-worth to be wrapped up in the judgments that other people make about you, you will continually be a wreck you will never reach the full potential that God has for you. If you are constantly concerned about the criticism of others, if you're constantly concerned about what people will say about you, about what people will observe about you, you will never fully fulfill all that God has in store for you because you will be so wrapped up and you will be so concerned and trying to please everybody. And the danger with that is it is impossible. It is impossible to please everyone. And yet, I see time and time again that people who have so much potential and who could accomplish so many great things for God allow themselves to be sidetracked because they're concerned about what everybody else thinks about them. Understand people will judge you, it's a fact of life. Don't give them the power. Of allowing their judgments to control you don't do it refuse and this leads us to another point and that's we're prone to compare we're prone to compare the way we do things versus the way that other people do things. And naturally, we have we have a bent to like the way that, that we conduct things, and a bent to not necessarily like the way that other people conduct themselves if it's different from the way that we conduct ourselves. And so we play this game, not only are we worried about judging, but then we allow ourselves to become victims of comparing. We compare others, and, and we do it all the time. And this is why comparisons are so dangerous, because they're built Upon inaccurate information. They're built on what we perceive. The problem with perception is a lot of times it's built upon part of the story. It's built upon falsehood. It's not built upon reality. When's the last time you walked up to somebody just casually and you said, how are you doing? And they're like, well, my wife's driving me crazy. I really fear that I'm not cutting it at work, that that I'm just, I'm a failure at work, and I'm about ready to lose my mind. That doesn't happen. And so what happens when we compare is we we build our reality of somebody else based upon something that isn't their reality. So it's an inaccurate portrayal of their life. And then we look at the portrayal that we've built of their life, and we say, oh, I want what they have. Their life is going so good. They have it so easy. If only I could be more like this. If only I could do this like they do. And the problem is we don't know their struggle. We don't know their pain. We don't see it all. The parts we see, we think, are the full story. We build our reality of them based upon those parts, and then we can never measure up. We're never good enough. Or, they're never good enough. They can never measure up. Because the parts we take of their story, we take only to make ourselves feel better. Only to build ourselves up. This is why looking at other people, engaging our spirituality, is so dangerous. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were guilty of. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. See, the problem of comparison is that outward appearances do not necessarily indicate. Inward conditions. And this is dangerous for us personally as well. So, a couple months ago, I was down working out on my treadmill. And I look over, and I see something weird. Our, my treadmill's in the basement, and uh, Scott Mickley, Mitch Bowman, my father-in-law broke their backs last year when we moved in uh, getting it down there. I just kind of watched and said, ah, you might want to turn that way, uh, turn that way. They're still, like, seeing physical therapy and putting Bengay on their backs nightly. And I really appreciate their efforts to, to allow me to work out. So thank you, guys. Um, but I was, I was on that treadmill and I was working out a couple months ago and I looked over at the wall and, and I just see something like on the wall that, that looks, looks a little odd. And so I go over and, and I wipe it, wipe it off and, and it looks like there's, there's a little bit of, of water getting in, on, on, but, but nothing major. It just looked like a little water, so I wiped it away and, and didn't, didn't think anything of it. And, and then it would happen again periodically. And in a couple of weeks ago, when it was just pouring down rain one day, I walked down to the basement, and right by the window, water was just dripping in. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And that's never a good question for me to ask of any type of manual labor project. <laughs> but I'm like, Brooke, I'm going to look into this. And she said, don't. That's wisdom right there. And I said, no, really. She said, no, really, don't. And so uh, we, called, we called Bob Buchanan, a man I trust much more with the, with the manual labor skills than myself. And, and he came over and he looked at it and he, he pulled off some siding of our house and what he showed us was where the wood behind the siding had rotted and water had seeped in through insulation through 20 years And it just now had finally started to indicate a problem on the inside. As you looked at the house from the outside, everything looked structurally sound. Everything looked great. Yet, as he peeled back the siding, he showed the wood was rotted. The insulation was ruined. And water had gotten in. Well, it's easy for us to be like the siding of that house and to put up an exterior like nothing's wrong when on the inside, destruction's happening. So Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And, and this, is, this is easy for us even here at Mission View. Why? Because Mitch and the team are so talented. They are so talented musically. They are so gifted. And I just love to sing along to great music. This week my wife and I went up to see Ryan Adams and he sings a whole bunch of songs. Most of you don't know because most of you aren't on antidepressants, but if you are you know all about Ryan Adams' music and I just love Ryan Adams. He's absolutely incredible. And and we we were there and we were just singing along and I just love to sing along to great music. And so what can happen is my heart can be far from God and I come in here and Mitch and this team are so incredibly gifted that they produce great music and if I'm not careful, what I can do is I can sing words my heart doesn't mean. And I can raise hands because I'm caught up in a moment that aren't clean before God. See, it's easy to portray that everything's okay when serious trouble lies underneath. And the problem is, it took 20 years to see any signs of water damage. But it was happening all the time. And they said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Ethan's going to underline that verse as soon as he gets his first adult Bible. He's not going to know it, but when he gets to Mark chapter 7, it's going to be underlined. Same thing goes for Dean. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Amen. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. All right, now what's Jesus saying here? Well, Corbin means this. It means that it's devoted to God. It was an offering. And here's the mindset that that had developed. It it was sort of like an individual saying, Mom and Dad, I know you're struggling. I know you're hungry and and you're struggling for food to eat. I know you have needs that, that aren't being taken care of. And I wish I could give you some money. But what I have is all devoted to God. And that's what they were doing. And to make it worse, Corbin was, was a deferred gift. It was a pledge. They, they had pledged it, but they, they didn't give it. They kept it, and they managed it, and they did what they wanted with it. And so they took the commandment of God to honor your father and mother. Something God feels so strongly about that he said, oh, and if you don't, if you revile your father and mother, you deserve to die. God feels pretty strongly about that. Honor your father or mother, that's choice A. Death's choice B. I'll go with choice A. But they perverted it. And they perverted it based on tradition. And that was their measuring, that was what they were measuring it by you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And this is the danger for us, not with Corbin, but with legalism. This is the danger. That we can follow tradition more so than God's word. And the problem with legalism is it started in the right place. It started in the place that out of a love for Christ, out of wanting to do what brings Christ honor and glory, I'm going to make these choices. But the problem is it it delves into a place that the rules that we make supersede the instruction of Scripture. And before you know it, our behavior is not based on a deep love for God. Our behavior is based upon tradition. Based on a set of extra-biblical rules that we establish and develop for ourselves. And the danger with legalism is you can't see it's out of bounds until way down the road. Because it creeps along subtly. And it's born out of virtue. That's the danger. And so today, our call is this we must reject tradition and embrace relationship. Reject tradition and embrace relationship. If you have certain convictions that God has put within you based on the Holy Spirit ministering to your heart, by all means, follow those convictions. But make sure those convictions are born out of relationship and not tradition. The passage continues. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Amen. You can love God, you can serve Jesus and put bacon on everything. This is an incredible incredible verse. Bacon's okay. <laughs> Up to this point, out of bounds. And then Jesus comes along. And I can have a Baconator, and feel great about it for the first 15 minutes. Then after that, a little miserable, but that's not sin. It's just indigestion. That is is the greatest thing. Jesus' point here, other than telling his followers to embrace bacon, Jesus' point here is this. It's not what you consume. It's not what you eat. That's not what defiles you. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled... Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They, they defile a person. You know what our problem is? It's our heart. The problem isn't even what we do or what we don't do. The problem at its core is who we are. The problem with me is me. And the problem with you is you. The problem with me is me, and the problem with you is you. So oftentimes, when we think about the problems of this world, we like to look out the window. Because it's easy to see what's wrong with this world. We look out the window, and we see our crazy neighbors. And we know they're messed up. And we point to them like, they're the problem. We look out this window. And we see the president, and it doesn't matter who it is. They're messed up. We look out this window. We see our friends. We're like, I like them a lot. But thank God I'm not like them in this way. We look out this window, and we see our grandparents. we're like, well, they're the crazy that got all this started. And then we see our parents, and we're like, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I see our kids, and we're like, oh, if only they were more like me. Look out the window. Especially when we're driving. And we're like, everybody on this road is a moron and doesn't know how to drive. I should teach everyone how to drive. You ever notice that? I mean, you're the only good driver in the world when you have road rage. Everybody else doesn't have a clue how to drive, but you do. Look out this window and see all the problems. Oh, if only the Dolans would have spent more money with Cory Kluber. This was a year they could have gone all the way. We look out the window, we see all kinds of corruption. We see all the problems. But the problem is this. We need to look in the mirror. Because when I want to see what's really wrong with this world, I need to start right here. not out there I need to look right here and see how can I be better where do I need to grow how have I failed who do I need to forgive how have I hurt people It's a lot easier to look out the window than it is to look in the mirror. And this is where the problem of the world starts. Because It's right here. It's not out there. It's me. There's all kinds of solutions and tests that are run when someone has chest pain. There's all kinds of diets that put you on if you have heart problems. Exercise routines that, that you need to develop and participate in. Plans that the doctors say, try this. You've got to make these changes if, if you want to save your life. All kinds of tests where they put dye in your, in your veins and watch it flow through the arteries. Instruments where they, they strap things on your chest, put gel on your side all kinds of way of monitoring. Because the heart is essential to your physical health. It's even more essential to your spiritual health. And so this is our challenge this week. Do a checkup. Whether you see the symptoms yet or not in your life, do a checkup. Stop the trouble now while it's hidden on the inside. So here's what you need to do this week. Just start right here. And Mark 7, 21. And ask yourself 13 questions in the mirror, not looking through the window. Here's your list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Take the time. Check up your heart. Forget the window. Look in the mirror. And this is the beauty of what Jesus has promised to do within us He's promised to give us a new heart. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Years of Baconators are not washed away one afternoon on a treadmill. It's going to take time. But you go through these 13 things. Forgetting every other factor, just you. You go through these 13 things. You ask God to reveal the truth to you. You don't worry about the changes everybody else has to make. You worry about the changes you need to make. Then you start with a simple request of God. Says, God, I know when I followed you, I gave my life to your son, Jesus. He gave me a new heart. I need him to work here. And here. And here. And this week, you go through these 13 things. God, I pray that you would help us look in the mirror, that we wouldn't compare. That we wouldn't constantly be seeing all those around us who have failed us. All the factors out of our control. But God, you would help us see the things that we control. The people that we are. God, I pray. That as your followers, we would be people who are passionate about becoming more like you. So, Father, help us. Help us search our hearts. And help us turn them over completely to you. Oh, God, that you would take us make us more like you. That's our prayer. Help us see the areas we need to grow, the changes we need to make. And then give us the strength to listen to your spirit and make those changes. In your son Jesus' name we pray.